What was the ETA? Someone just said. Right now, baby. <laughs> right now. What is up, everybody? Welcome to a very special edition of From the Hill, the first ever live From the Hill. Super pumped to come to you guys. Uh, I see everybody popping in here, <laughs> uh, throwing comments up on the right here. Uh, I got my trusty little laptop here on my left too. I'm going to use it to help me read the comments. Even though I got LASIK eye surgery in my right eye, I still can't read that far away. <laughs> it's all right though. It's all right though. We're going to get everybody's input in. We're going to have a great time today. Um, before we start taking input and going back and forth with comments, uh, like I said, I'm going to take some calls. So let me get rolling here. And then if you guys have my number, dial it up. Uh, if you don't, DM me while I'm here. If I see you, that you absolutely can uh, can get in on this. So um, let's see. There's text coming in right now. Yep, everybody's firing in. All right, good stuff. Um, so where I wanted to start with the announcements, I don't know if you guys saw this or not, but the biggest thing that we have been getting feedback-wise, literally nonstop, was can we get an audio-only version of From the Hill? Yes, you can. So I sent this out earlier last, or sorry, the end of last week that we got up on SoundCloud. So we're now on the SoundCloud app, but that was really a means to an end. SoundCloud's great and all if you want to do that, but we are now officially up on iTunes. So if you want to consume your From the Hill on iTunes, here's the way to do it. And guys, you got to search smart, right? When you're searching, here's what you want to do. Go into your search on your iTunes podcast. Now, if you don't know, if you have an iOS device, that's like an iPhone, right? You, it comes with a podcast application. So go ahead and open up your iTunes podcast application and start your search. Open quotation from underscore the underscore hill, close quotation, and boom, you'll be set. You will be good to go. And then from that point onward, you'll be able to get all of your From the Hills audio only through that, that, uh, that way. So that's good. Um, oh, look. Looking at myself here on the phone, uh, this is this is pretty good. Um, I've asked a buddy of mine who I see is on to tweet out the link to the show so that everybody else can get involved, and I will try and retweet it for you. Uh, he's going to tweet it at me. I'm at jrip18 on Twitter. So for everybody that doesn't have Facebook, you can get on here and uh, you can get going and see what's going on. So uh, see, I can't play it. Ah. Uh, that sucks. All right, that's fine. Oh, stop playing. All right. All right. So uh, it's going to be to figure out a way to. I got an idea. All right. So where I wanted to start here, uh, content-wise, was I wanted to start on Villanova. Right. That was the big thing last night. The NCAA men's championship game. Villanova comes out and absolutely spanks Michigan. Right. Completely spanked them. Uh, put them down. It was a close game in the first half, but Michigan just ran out of firepower. Villanova, quite frankly, and I talked about this last week, has really been the best team pretty much all year uh, outside of Virginia, but we all know what happened to them. And they just showed it. Um, they're sort of, they are really evolving the college game to what we're seeing in the pros, right? Everybody can shoot threes. And what Nova did so well, which I kept talking about, and other teams didn't do was shoot free throws well. And 
they come out last night. The game was only close in the first half because Nova started one for nine from the three-point line. As soon as they started making threes, Michigan just couldn't hang. Uh, Mo Wagner is a great player. He's a big man, sort of that that NBA kind of stretch type of guy, but he was really unable to to get anything going there. Lady got in foul trouble, got, you know, got into it with guys. And then the guy they call the Michael Jordan of Delaware, Dante DiVincenzo. I'll be honest with you. I can't remember a kid his size that athletic uh, in a while. And the two plays that really personified his athleticism were the ball that he pinned against the backboard in between the rim and the backboard with his right hand. Then as he follows through, he sort of swinged it with his left hand trying to knock it down in midair coming through. That was crazy amount of athleticism there that he showed. And then going up against the Michigan guard with a two-handed block, just meeting him in midair. Um, I know that guy wasn't expecting him to get up that way and he shot the lights out. So yeah, that pretty much summed that game up. Give me a second here. Let me see if I can pull this up on my computer so I can see all your guys' comments so I can start taking stuff in between. Um, but the, the, the one thing too about Villanova, which has spurred a lot of conversation here for rule changes in college, right? And this is something that I wanted to talk about only because I saw that they were playing the NIT a little different. And one thing that got talked about now was moving the three-point line back because the college three is too easy. I'm not really too sure how I feel about that. Let me talk about what they were doing in the NIT that was a little bit different from what they're doing in the regular college game and talk about where I would like to see the rule changes implementations go and then where I think moving the three-point line is a little bit of a mistake. So what they were doing in the NIT, if you didn't see, is they were playing four 10-minute quarters instead of two 20-minute halves, which I feel like is the way to go. Um, it just shortens up the game, and then they're playing true or two foul rules, right? Because what you see in college is you get to that one-and-one one way too early in the first or second half, and then you have it for the rest of the time. When you break it up into quarters and then they get five to get there, it sort of is a little bit fair because once the first quarter is over, then you're into the second half you know, it just breaks up your fouls that way. The other thing that they're doing that I thought was really interesting is to try and speed the game up, which they've done a good job of here continuously with the shot clock is instead of resetting to the full 30 on an offensive rebound, they actually took it to only 20 if you got an offensive rebound. So you, you know, you really had to get the ball set and then go again. I really like that. Uh, in terms of moving to three point line, I guess maybe, but how, I mean, how much for, you're not going to go NBA yet, right? Or are you maybe, I don't know that NBA three, when those kids take, it still seems like a chalk and I get it. The argument is, is that the college three may be a little too easy to make, but these kids are not super athletic. And so if you move it back further, are you actually just going to stunt offense more since in reality, everybody's trying to do what Nova did this year, right? Get a bunch of guys who can shoot the three because as we've seen in the NBA with the warriors and like we've talked about, that's the way to go with the game. That's where the game's evolving to. It's better math. If I can make threes at a 40% clip and you can make twos at a 50% clip, I will win. That's the, that's the way the game's going. So I don't know about moving the line back. Uh, you guys let me know what you think about that. I'm going to try and see if I can see myself on this live video here real quick on my computer. Oh, there I am. Let's see. Am I going to be able to see your, your comments here, though? Let's see. Come on, pull this up. I, don't know, I think it's going to be on a little bit of a delay. 
Maybe you guys just text me what you want to see. <laughs> um, so there was actually a funny thing that happened with Dante DiVincenzo that I really wanted to talk about. I don't know if you guys saw this or not, but after the game, his Twitter account <laughs> blows up, right? As you may expect, because the kid comes off the bench, 31 points, right? He ended up winning most outstanding player uh, for the final four. And within, <laughs> I didn't see what the exact time is, but within about 12 hours, his account was deleted and wiped. Nova came out and actually this, this tells you, this is a life lesson for everybody. Like the Kevin Durant thing, whenever you hear that somebody's Twitter got hacked, it's a lie because the Villanova press, the first thing that they had said about this was his Twitter got hacked. <laughs> and then they came back out and were like, no, he just wiped it. That poor kid. What happens to him is he really wasn't that active on Twitter. Actually, I think some of his last tweets were from like 2016 and people were going back to some of his tweets from like middle school <laughs> and they were really like analyzing them and retweeting them, totally like embarrassing the kid. So he had to wipe his entire account. Um, I wanted to put that out there to everybody. Like, how do you feel about that? Because I'll be honest, to me, that's a little messed up. Like, this is just a kid. And this is, again, now we're going through that, that line of college players, NCAA players who are playing as amateurs, technically, right? Even though we're going to talk about the, the money and the gambling angle here coming up here. That and professional players, and we want to be all involved in their business all the time. And that involves their Twitter account. This poor kid, I actually talked about this a couple months ago in studio when Profit asked me, you know, what about your Twitter account? And I was like, ah, yeah, you know, I tweet out drunk lyrics or whatever for music. I can't imagine if somebody went back through my Twitter <laughs> because I just had a great, you know, Final Four national championship game and was analyzing all my tweets. That's got to be embarrassing for the kid. I haven't heard anything else from him yet, but I mean, I guess that's the way things go, right? This is how social media is these days and the kid blows up, his Twitter's open. Yeah. If you want to see some of this stuff, you can actually, you can go to his, his Twitter page is down, but everybody screenshotted uh, a lot of his Twitter. And so it, it's all up there for you to see actually what he had up and all the embarrassing stuff. Um, it, yeah. I, again, I'm not really too sure how I feel about it. I don't like it that much. Uh, the fact that the kid had to lead his Twitter is kind of sad, but um, so then the talk came in for, uh, you know, Jay Wright and how great is this Villanova run now? Because he's up there, obviously in the pantheon of great coaches, right? Because this is Nova's second championship in the last three years. And there's only two other coaches that have multiple national championships. And that's Shashevsky and Roy Williams. You're really talking about rarefied air there in terms of college basketball coaches, right? So I'm sure there's going to be more of that legacy type of talk to come here about, you know, how great of a coach is Jay Wright, you know, all those kind of things. Um, I think he's an outstanding coach. You know, the way that he's been able to evolve with that program since the sort of deletion or breaking up of the Big East, I think is great. And yeah, we'll see. There's been some some rumors about should he coach the Sixers now? Do, do we always have to do this, guys? Like, is this where we always take it? What, like, for what reason do we need to throw that out there now? This great college coach, what do we need him coaching the Sixers for? Like, get out of here with that crap. There's more crap that I want to get out of here with first. But when I get into what we talked about last week, and, and 
you see an empty seat here. Profit is not here to defend himself. So I'm not going to go completely into everything that we talked about with the betting, but I did want to bring up the big incident, I call it, that happened. And it goes back to the Michigan game. It was actually the Michigan uh, Florida State game. So if you heard last week's show, right, Nick really had a problem with my theory about some of the, but I, I just flat out called it point shaving, right? Or some of what I feel like is the attempted at point shaving. And I brought up the Kansas Seton Hall game where the kid jacks up the three late. And why would he do that? And did he know the point spread, right? And what really motivated him to go through all that and do that? Well, obviously I put together a, a theory that was fairly flimsy, right? But my point was, is that getting that type of scenario in play could be something that happens. And the fact that the kid took the shot and got the shot up just means that this type of thing is going on. Well, now enter Florida State, Michigan. This game was an atrocity. So let me just fill you in. And actually, I watched this really closely because I got lucky on the betting side or else you would have heard me cursing and spitting everything that I was about that last game because the game actually goes off at a four and a half spread. I got it at four. Okay. That's Michigan minus four. But most people that would bet that game got Michigan minus four and a half. Now, here we are late in the game. When I say late, I mean 15 seconds left, and Florida State just missed a shot. Michigan gets the rebound, and their coaches are yelling, don't foul, don't foul. If you don't believe me, check the video because they are. They don't foul. You're down four points, four, with 15 seconds left in the last game of the year. There's not a college coach, a high school coach, an NBA coach, a bitty basketball coach that's not fouling right away to try and extend the game. This is how it works, guys. (laughs) This is not rocket science. you got to foul to extend the game. I mean, if you don't understand the basic premise of it, I can lay it out for you. Let's just say I don't even know, but let's say Michigan's in the double bonus here. If you foul, and we've talked about repeatedly how poor these college kids are at shooting free throws, if you foul and he goes down and misses one, and now instead of being down four, you're down five, you can come down and get a quick bucket. If you get two, you just exchanged one point for one, right? Now you're only down three, and you foul again. Or if you get three, now you're only down two. Like This is, this is how it works, right? He doesn't foul at all and lets the game end with four. Now, this in and of itself is not enough to uh, convict, as they would say, right? If I'm going to get into the attorney fee, this is not enough to, to pull somebody in. I can't get an arrest warrant for that yet, but I got one. After the game, Dana Jacobson's interviewing the Florida State head coach. And of course, the most basic question that you ask him right away Coach, you're down 15 or you're down four with 15 seconds left. Why don't you foul? He pauses for about five seconds, doesn't even react. And then looks at her like she's crazy. What do you mean? What are you talking about? I don't even know what you're talking about. She repeats the question, and then he proceeds to say, well, the game was over. The game's over. Why do we foul? Really? The game game is over. You're down four points with 15 seconds left. I've never in my life heard a college coach say that. Matter of fact, the opposite just happened in the game where I got backdoor covered, right, that I keep talking about, the Seton Hall, Kansas. They were Definitely down, right? Except this kid's coming up and jacking up a three when they're down seven and can't win. So why are you not fouling 
when you're down four with 15 seconds left. It's a big difference between being down seven with five seconds and four with 15. If, again, I said it two weeks ago, I said it last week, I'm sure this weekend when Profit and I do our show, it's going to come up again. If you guys don't think that there's point shaving and those sort of things going on, I just think you guys are crazy. It's clear as day. And again, when we talk about where's the money changing hands, right? This could be something as simple as the Florida State coach is getting a lot of pressure from boosters and people that are important at Florida State to go, look, we need to cover. We need to cover this four and a half spread and you get a chance late game. If you know you're going to lose and you get a chance to not foul, to keep that, that cover alive, then that's what you better do, coach, or else you know your job's going to be in jeopardy. It's, <laughs> it's clear as day. So I, I can't believe there hasn't been more of it in the national media. I mean, the FBI are investigating all these coaches for paying players and stuff. Why are they not looking at this stuff? My guess would be because there's just too much money changing hands, so why would you not? But I rest my case. I'm not going to belabor that too much because I know Nick and I are going to get into that this weekend. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's where I'll stop on that one. Um, really quick, <laughs> I wanted to say, because uh, typically I open the show right with one of my nicknames. Typically I'll say Swaggy or, or Captain Jack Swaggy. But I wanted to open today's show with a new nickname that I got. And there's going to be some people out there that know where this came from. Um, so the newest nickname in my stable of nicknames is Johnny Bags. <laughs> and if you want to hear the story, of Johnny Bags, uh, I'll let you guys know. I won't get into it right now, but just keep that one in mind. Um, Johnny Bags is another nickname for the list. Uh, <laughs> the person actually that gave me the nickname, just to give you a little teaser, he didn't realize that my government name is actually John, so it kind of worked out. So staying in the NCAA, uh, we're going to flip to the women's side real quick uh, because I feel like it's noteworthy to talk about this. Um, one thing that stood out to me about the women's final four is that all four number one seeds made the final four. And again, that's not that uncommon. Okay. On that side, if you guys don't watch women's basketball, but typically like one, two or a three, we'll get in. It's all four number one seeds, which I guess in one way you could say we are seeing the best basketball, but that's a conversation that I won't get into. But actually the women's final four was incredible. Um, Notre Dame ends up winning the whole thing. Uh, they beat Mississippi State on a last-second shot, and then the same chick, and, and I apologize, I'm going to try and say her name. Everybody screws up my last name when it's on paper anyway, so it's fine that I screw up somebody else's. Uh, but her name is Arike Agumbawale. Um, but she knocks down a crazy three uh, at the end of the national championship game and also at the end of the game before that for Notre Dame. So two buzzer beaters in the same weekend, like – that kid for the rest of her life, right? Never forget it. So that's pretty cool. Uh, but the, actually kind of the bigger story was that UConn, undefeated UConn, went down again to Mississippi State. That brings up like a whole crazy conversation about that team because they're so dominant. I saw a statistic that they're like 0-6 in overtime games in this last 10-year stretch because they just they never get tested, right? They're so good. They win so many games. They never lose. They're never in a position to lose. And then when they get there, they don't know what to do. And actually, when I watched some of that game, I did. I saw it on the girls' faces. Like they, they didn't believe they were going to win as they usually do when they're stomping teams out by 20, right? So that was pretty interesting. But if you had a chance to watch the women's college basketball, that Final Four was, was pretty exciting. So um, just a reason to, to believe again in, in college sports, right? 
So sticking with basketball, I'm going to move to the NBA. The NBA is really starting to heat up because we've got the playoffs, and the playoffs are starting April 14th. Um, I don't know if I said the date yet. I typically will try not to because I've been getting that wrong. Um, <laughs> but uh, today is the third is what it's telling me here, and the playoffs start the 14th. That's 11 days. Um, I think I got that right, but you guys can, can tell me if I did or not. But so we're here, and we're finally at the part of the season that really matters, right, as we're getting into the playoffs. Um, starting in the Western Conference, there's some interesting developments because the Rockets locked up the one seed last week, and the Warriors are banged up, right? Curry's banged up. Uh, Clay's banged up. Durant's still banged up. So if ever you saw that team who I have repeatedly said is the best team I've ever seen, literally the best team I've ever seen, if you've ever seen them vulnerable, I think this is the year. Um, the question is, will they be healthy enough by the time the Rockets get there? And I wouldn't even, even with them being hurt, I'm not even going to sit here and tell you that I think they're not going to make it to the Western Conference Finals or to the NBA Finals because they're just so good. If you really think about the way that team's made up, yeah, I think it would be great for them to have both Steph and Durant, and I think they will probably need both of them to beat the Rockets. But would it be a stretch to say, that they couldn't beat the Rockets with just one of those two? I mean, when Durant came in, who did he replace on that team? Harrison Barnes? No offense, right? But he was just a, a piece, a transitional type of player for them. They both are capable of carrying a championship roster. And what you get with Clay and Draymond and Iguodala and what they have surrounded that team with is that championship roster and that formula. And then both of those guys sort of end up fitting in so well. But in reality... <laughs> you could go one or the other, not both. And the irony of that is that that's kind of what the Rockets do, right? Because Harden and Paul sort of stagger their time a lot, and they run that up-tempo D'Antoni system. What I really just hope is that we get to see the Western Conference Finals that we deserve, and that's the Rockets and the Warriors at full health, and they really get to go at it head-to-head, -head, and we'll really find out if D'Antoni and that Rocket system can compete with the Warriors and how they've broken the game by taking advantage of the math, right? So we'll see what happens there. The East. It's near and dear to my heart, right, and a lot of our hearts that are, that are listening because it's the Sixers. And the Sixers have gone on an absolute tear, right? <laughs> we got our hopes and dreams. It, it's crazy. So we get to see Markel Fultz come back, and the kid is rejuvenated, right? Whatever Jedi mind trick had happened to his jump shot, he's good to go. Comes in, he's playing well, he's getting some minutes. And this freak play of him on a turnaround shot where he bangs into Embiid's face and breaks his orbital bone, and now Embiid's out two to four weeks. So uh, this is kind of crazy. Like, I don't know what's going to happen to them. They can't make a run in the East without Embiid, right? Let's be honest. Ben's great. Dario, he got a little infection or something, but I don't think that's going to be a serious thing. But they realistically, they can't make a serious run in the East. Uh, actually, no, hold on one second. Let me see if, while I'm rambling here, let me see if I can figure out how to get these. Hold on. All right, that's pretty good. You know what? Here, this is what I'm going to do. Because I can kind of read them. So um, let me try this real quick. Let's see if you guys like this. All right, camera's still good, and yeah, all right, I can read the comments, so uh, we'll win. <laughs>
Nebone checking in. Will Wimp shave his neck hair this year? The answer is no. Of course it's no. Did you see the picture of him laying on the Miata? Come on, dude. Shirtless? Kid's got like the worst hygiene ever seen. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, that's a good one, though. Uh, so, all right. Sorry about that. <laughs> all right. Anyway, uh, go, yeah, so going back to the Sixers, I, I don't know what's going to happen here with Embiid. Uh, the orbital bone, it's a big deal. He's got a broken face, right? Um, hopefully, he can come back and chew and wear the mask because when I look down at the East right now, it's just, to me, it's wide open. It's absolutely wide open. Um, <laughs> it's the Cleveland LeBrons, right? The Raptors, who we keep talking about. Can the Raptors actually get anything done? I don't know. Personally, I'm always going to fall back to they, him, Lowry, and DeRozan have the worst shooting percentage in playoff history. So until they prove to me that they can score in the playoffs and that they can carry a team, I'm going to sit here and say the Raptors cannot get it done. And that the East is wide open. Kyrie and his injury for the Celtics. And then you got the Sixers sitting at four. And I actually tweeted this out earlier this week. Um, I know people wanted me to rip on Colin Cowherd. So I will. Cowherd had to wear a Joel B jersey due to a bet because he said that the Sixers would not win 40 games this year. And of course, they've eclipsed that mark um, on their run. So he had to do that. And I tweeted him that the Sixers are the best team in the East. And if not for Embiid's injury, they'd be the favorites going into the playoffs because to me, I don't see a team that even as they're constructed right now, aside from the Cleveland LeBrons, that could possibly beat them. The the thing that we would hope for as Sixers fans is that they would avoid them via whatever the seeding winds up until the finals. And at that point, all bets are off, right? So we'll see what happens there. Um, the, the, the weird thing about the East this year is that typically a team at the bottom of the East will make it with like right around 500, and that's not going to happen this year. Um, the Pistons, who I talked about with the Griffin trade, and then turns out Prof was actually right on this one because they were on a run, and then Griffin gets hurt, and now they're horrible, and they're like six or seven games under 500 or something, so I don't see any way they can even make it. So they'll be out. Um but yeah, the West is still open, I think. Uh, I have to eat a little bit of crow maybe on the Spurs only because they've played well here down the stretch. Let's talk about the Spurs, and let's talk about Kawhi Leonard because this is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen uh, in the NBA with a guy and not coming back from an injury and then his teammates. So let me fill you guys in first, um, and then we'll we'll talk about like what I think about the whole situation. So Kawhi... Hasn't played for a while, and but what the doctors are saying is that he could come back. But he went and got a second opinion, and he's saying you know he doesn't want to play until he's healthy. So about a week and a half ago, the Spurs had a players-only meeting, whatever that means, um, and they decided that they wanted to tell Kawhi, "Look, dude, are you coming back or not? We want you to come back. Like, what's the story?" And it was a closed-door meeting, so they didn't talk much about it. But then when some of the guys are interviewed, and the guy that stood out to me the most was Tony Parker, <laughs> Tony Parker's response was like, and I'm not going to do something like horrible French accent, but he's like, you know, I had an injury ten uh, that was 10 times as bad as his, and I was back by the time he's been out. That's kind of a shot at him, though. And it's unknown whether or not he's going to not just come back this year and play for the Spurs, but come back ever. I've never seen such a fallout of a team. I mean, he was their star, right? And the thing about him, which is interesting, versus what you see from most NBA stars, is most NBA stars, they come in as the star and sort of bring the team with them. 
Kawhi came into the Spurs as part of the system, and he's become a star almost because of that system. And he's a quiet guy. He's not like the rest of these typical NBA stars. And so you really don't know what's going on. He's really quiet about it outwardly. He's not talking much about it at all. And then you've got teammates like whispering. It's really bizarre. I've said for the last couple of weeks that the Spurs can't win shit because they're old and they stink. They've gone on a run, but like, get out of here. Like, look, I love Ginobili and Parker. Those guys are ancient. Patty Mills, I don't know why everybody loves him. Gasol's ancient. LaMarcus Aldridge is tatas, I always say. Uh, that's tall and that's all. I actually stole that from Bomani Jones, so credit to him. Um, but yeah, I, like they're not going to win anything. I don't care if they're four or five in the West by the time it comes down. If they don't have Kawhi Leonard, who's the best player in that team, probably a top five player in the NBA, they're not winning shit. So might as well forget about that. I eat a little bit of crow on them because yeah, they, they've been playing well, been playing better, but I don't care. Once the playoffs start, forget about them. If they don't have Kawhi again. Something to watch. This is a weird situation. Uh, what else did I want to talk about in the NBA? That's it, really. Um, we'll see what happens. We'll talk about this in the weekend once all of the playoff matchups are locked in, uh, and we'll see where the matchups are. And honestly, everybody here in Sixers land is just going to hold, hold your breath and hope that Embiid can come back and play with the mask and, and be fine, because if he can't, uh, what a shame that would be, because I, I think that team's got a shot to even make it be valuable experience all right let's move to the nfl um there's been there's always stuff going on in the nfl right but there's something that i really really wanted to talk about badly because i was harping on this a lot if you guys have seen any of the other shows and that's the catch rule i'm sure um i can't see everybody on the side here who's watching but just because I know that there's a large contingent of Cowboy fans, I know <laughs> I know this is going to you know strike home for everybody on the catch rule, but I have always maintained that the Des Bryant play was a catch. Uh, and the NFL actually today has, has uh, asserted that, or not, well, not today, but where the rules stand, they've gone ahead and said, yeah, you're right, that play was a catch. So let me walk you through the rule changes, and then I'm going to tell you how they're going to apply, and I'll use some of the catches in the past that I've talked about into where these will play into, to, uh, to count. So the catch rule now, they've implemented three main changes to what is a catch. So the first is control of the ball. That's sort of obvious, right? But where I think this comes into play is something that I've talked about at length, and the play that I used from last year uh, a lot is the – the Kelvin Benjamin catch in the back of the end zone with the Bills versus the Patriots, where, you, I mean, if I'll give you just give you a half a step back. Use Odell Beckham as an example. You watch this guy in warmups, and they'll throw him 20 balls, and he'll catch every single one of them with one hand. As soon as he catches it and the ball's not moving, he has control of it. And so I'm glad to see the NFL acknowledge that. The same thing that I talked about with the Kelvin Benjamin catch. As soon as he cradles that ball right here, he has control of it. And... I'll talk about the rule that they've changed as to why what he had to do anyway won't play into account. But yeah, so that's good that they've they've sort of cornered that and control the ball. The second is two feet down or another body part. This is obvious, right? And another body part being your hip, your butt, or your elbow, right? If you get a knee and an elbow, an elbow in the butt, you caught it. And then the third one is a football move such as a third step. And then here comes the big one, right? And this would be for the Des Bryant catch. 
we talked about the Super Bowl, right? That was the Zach Ertz catch. And it happened to Jesse James, the Pittsburgh Steelers tight end. It's, and I want to read it word for word so you get it right here. Reaching or extending a body part for the line to gain or the ability to do so. And so essentially what that's saying is if you got one and two, right, and then you do that dive or that turn or that reach or you're trying to do that and the ball gets knocked away as you're trying to do that, you still caught it. Now that would be a fumble if they knock it away, which I agree with, but that's going to be considered a catch, not an incomplete pass. And so therefore, in all these situations where the player is diving to the end zone or into the end zone, that's going to be a touchdown because as soon as the ball breaks the invisible plane, right, if you can imagine it, as soon as it breaks the invisible plane, you scored a touchdown. And if you completed one, two, and then that's three, you got it. And the major part of that that they removed that was negating those plays is <laughs> the infamous controlling through the ground. That's gone. There's no more controlling through the ground. Thank God. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. And this is where I'll go back to the Kelvin Benjamin catch. If you remember, I talked about this at length, but when Kelvin Benjamin catches this ball and they know that they have to control to the ground, like here's what you see. You see a guy who's a ridiculous athlete. The dude's a monster, and he catches the ball in one hand, but now he can't fall on that side because if he does, when he hits the ground, that ball's going to come loose, and it's going to be a fumble. Or Sorry, it's going to be a complete catch. So now what he's doing is as he's falling, he's switching hands. and he. But as he simultaneously switches hands, what you're having officials say is, well, he doesn't have control of the ball because he switched hands mid-catch. <laughs> nah. <laughs> he caught it as soon as he got it here. Then he made the turn this way. And it's good. But now he won't have to because he'll catch it right here. He'll go down. He'll have met one, two, and three. And then when he hits the ground, it won't matter that the ball squirts loose, caused by the ground. It's a touchdown. At the end of the day, it's great, right? It's, it's just good to see the NFL finally put some thought into this, got it right. Ultimately, it's going to be up to the officials to make the actual correct judgment, right? Because the NFL can put these rules in, but it's only officials to understand. I think that this may be one of the easier things for these officials to call because it's the whole looks like thing, right? What would Tio say? Looks like a rat and smells like a rat. Jeff Garcia, oh, never mind. I can't, <laughs> I can't say that. But yeah, like if it looks like a catch, it's a catch. I mean, you can go back over the years. Like when Calvin Johnson puts the ball down on the ground after he catches it with one hand to, to brace himself, it's a touchdown. When Des Bryant makes three steps or four steps and dives for the end zone, it's a catch. Just go back through all of them. Their catches. So what they actually did was validate the Eagles Super Bowl um, as being catches. I actually heard some of the Barstool guys or all the New England guys, you know, being gracious as usual, New England, gracious in victory and defeat, those guys, uh, <laughs> um, talking about how this now negates the Eagles catches in the Super Bowl, which it's the total opposite. If uh, anybody from New England or Patriots fan wants to have that debate with me, Go ahead, call me right now. I'll ring you up and we can talk about it based on the new rules because I don't know where you're pulling that from. But yeah, sure. Good job. You got, you guys got nothing for me other than knee bone? <laughs> that's all you got? That's that's all you got? I'm sorry. I missed the other comments if you guys said some stuff up top that you wanted to give me shit for. So um, yeah. Uh, anyway. So where I'm going to keep going there on my rants then is the draft. Um, 
we have QB talks heating up. And uh, there's actually one thing that we talked about a lot, and it's who's going to go in the top four. You see guys, you know, the Bills are trying to lobby to get up and get a quarterback. The Browns still have number one overall. So it's who's going to be the top quarterback pick. And I saw something this week <laughs> that I thought was really interesting, and I heard the gas bags going after it, and I just I my head almost exploded when I heard a guy say this. I don't want to get this wrong because there's so many of these morning shows now. I don't know if you guys saw that Greeny's back um, with Jalen Rose and Beetle. Actually, I love Jalen Rose. I know you guys heard me say this before. I think he's one of the most interesting guys to listen to in sports. So I'm glad that he's you know on a show. But now that goes up against Golick and Wingo. Whatever. Let me say, I want to say it was Golick and Wingo, but I could be wrong. Sorry. Uh, sorry, not sorry. Anyway, what they said was Jim Mora Jr., who's UCLA's head coach, and he comes out this week. Right, he goes, you know, just by the way the Browns are and working class city, you know, and the way Sam Darnold is, like I just feel like he's a really good fit for the Browns at number one overall. Uh, and if I were them, I think I would take him. He's a hard nosed guy, hard working kid, fit right in in Cleveland. You know, they'll love him. Blah blah blah. And then the reaction that these guys put out is like, wow. What an indictment that is on Josh Rosen. Your head coach didn't even want you to go number one overall. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like, that's what you got from that guy saying that, from his head coach saying that? What head coach of a college quarterback, right, a guy to town of Rosen, is going to say something about his kid like that? He said that because Rosen doesn't want to play for the Browns. Nobody wants to play for the Browns. Literally nobody. Nobody wants to play for the Browns because they stink. Their best offensive lineman just retired. So I don't care if you're bringing in Jarvis Landry. I don't care if you brought Randy Moss back from Madden 01 where you can just throw the ball up them in triple coverage and he catches it. It doesn't matter. They can't block anybody. The team's horrible. So, of course, he's going to come out and support his quarterback. And by supporting him, I mean say, hey, Browns, don't pick my guy. <laughs> I actually think Rosen has said, too, that he doesn't want to play for Cleveland. So how anybody who gets paid for a living could come out and tell me that when he said that, what he was meaning to say was indicting his quarterback? How the hell did you get a platform? Like It, it really makes me question why these guys say this stuff. I think a lot of times they just say it to say it, right? So that somebody like me, somebody like me, will yell about it. But it literally was one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. So I just want to throw it out there. And when it comes to the whole quarterback conversation, I, look, I'm still sitting where I sat four weeks ago. To me, Rosen's the best player in the draft. Um, actually, what I wanted to talk about, because I had a discussion earlier this week, what I think happens, it, the, the crux of the discussion, take you back a half a step, the crux of the discussion was this. So do we think... Why is it that you would want to go up to get a quarterback in this draft? Because what's happening now is that really nobody seems to be saying that these guys are great players, right? But here's the thing you got to remember about college and breaking these kids down. If you wound the clock back 15 months and Rosen and Darnold, who both could have came out last year, right, but they didn't, you wind the clock back, they were both projected to be top five quarterbacks. Not top, maybe not top five picks, but they were going to be like really good players. They were projected to be great players. Then you fast forward this season, and both of their teams sucked. Darnold threw a million interceptions. Rosen got hurt, and then, I don't know, I think he's like half a space cadet or something, so people question if he cares about football or whatever. 
all that is to me is just another year to analyze these guys and overanalyze them, actually. If when you see them work out, you saw their game footage from two seasons, you've seen the talent and the throws, it's a question of do you think the kid can play in the league? Can he fit in your system? Is he a franchise quarterback or not? Don't give me Darnold through 22 picks. Yeah, he did, but that USC team stunk. I mean, they weren't very good, and the UCLA team stunk even worse. So don't try and lay that Rosen is no good because UCLA went 6-6 six and six this year. I mean, if any other sport where you can't really carry, it's football. And again, I just think that we end up overanalyzing these guys. Case in point is like a guy like Lamar Jackson because he won the Heisman, not last year, two years ago. And so he didn't get as much hype this year. But when I looked at his numbers from last year compared to his Heisman year, they were pretty similar. But because he won the Heisman, it's the whole like LeBron James MVP effect. Why doesn't LeBron James have eight MVPs by now? By the way, I'm not a huge LeBron guy, so don't don't tell me I'm slurping LeBron. But like legit, he should have like eight MVPs. I don't know how many he has, but he should have ten. But they give it to Derrick Rose the one year because the writers get tired of it, right? They get tired of the same player, and they want to give it to somebody else, and they do that. That's all it is. You're overanalyzing things. You want to see something different. You want something to gripe about. You want something to complain about about the player. It's the same effect. It's the Steve Nash, Kobe Shaq thing. Steve Nash got those two MVPs. He stole one from Shaq and one from Kobe. And Kobe Bryant only has one MVP, which you want to get me pissed off. Talk about why Kobe Bryant only has one league MVP. But that's the kind of thing that happens. Like People were sick of Kobe after he ran Shaq out, and it's the sports writers, the pompous sports writers, who get to decide this stuff. And so they don't reward the guy. That's all that crap is. And so when it comes to quarterbacks, for me, I'm still saying it's Rosen and... For his sake and for my predictability sake, I hope the Browns don't take him one overall because the Browns are always going to stink. Always. They'll never be good. Ever. Just write it down. They're horrible. So something pretty cool I wanted to talk about uh, was something I talked about actually while I was golfing this weekend. It was a it was a pretty interesting dialogue that we had about another top draft pick potentially. Well, not potentially. He will be a top draft pick. Sorry, just smacked the uh, the microphone stand a couple times here. So this guy is Penn State's own Saquon Barkley, right? The absolute freak, and who seems to be regarded as the number one prospect in the draft, either him or Chubb, right? I mean, go ahead, go back and forth. And one of the fellas, the chaps who I was golfing with, he says to me, I would mortgage the franchise to get Saquon Barkley. Well, he didn't say it to me. He said it to somebody else. And then he came and he said, Jack, what do you think? I kind of thought about it for a minute. And here's the thing. When I look at Saquon Barkley, he is that good of a player. There's nothing about him that you don't love. From, from his running, to his pass blocking, to his durability, to his catching the ball in the backfield. I mean, literally, there's nothing about the kid you don't love. Work ethic. I mean... Literally, he's a coach's wet dream at running back, right? But it's running back. And that's where I kind of winced when I was talking about that. I can't mortgage the franchise for running back because at the end of the day, what is the running back going to do for me? And I'll, I'll use the Browns as the example, right? Because I hate the Browns. I don't hate the Browns. If he went to the Browns, what would he do for them? Nothing. Nothing. Because they have no offensive line. They don't have a quarterback. So let's play that out. Let's say the Browns take Saquon one, right? And then they're going to have to take whoever falls to four at quarterback or play T-Mobile 
<laughs> or, you know, or you could just play Tyrod Taylor, I guess. Um, but there you go. So now you lost your best offensive lineman. You didn't improve the offensive line with your first round picks. And you bring in the best running back in the league and then whatever quarterback, either a rookie quarterback who was not, you know, the, the second or third selection. So the third guy, third quarterback to go or Tyrod Taylor, you're going to stink. And that guy's not going to change your franchise. So no, I wouldn't mortgage my franchise for Saquon Barkley. If you can get him, yeah, that's great. But I, I actually said this. I said where you could see a player like him making a huge impact would be like the Detroit Lions. You think about a, a team that's been really prolific offensively for the last couple years, passing the ball, but can never seem to get a running back in and get a running game started. If you put Saquon on a team like that, whew, now that's where he could make a real impact. The Browns, I don't know. The Giants, that's interesting. Their offensive line's banged up. See, the, the thing about this is when you look at all these top teams in the top five, a lot of them you're going to say, yeah, the problem is they don't have a quarterback, right? <laughs> Part of the reason you don't have a quarterback is because you don't have an offensive line. I mean, those things sort of go hand in hand. And for all my Cowboy faithful out there, I'll use them as the example. Look at Dak's rookie year to his sophomore year. Dak really took a step back, and I don't think he took a step back because he's not a good NFL player. I think he is, but I think he got a little overhyped his freshman season because they had the best offensive line in the league, and Zeke was running around like an absolute monster behind that line. And so Dak was able to game manage, make good throws, make good decisions. He could move in a pocket, but he had a pocket. He had time to throw, right? You come into this year, that offensive line got hurt, fell apart, missed Zeke for a lot of season, and then Dak struggles. Well, it's no surprise because they have a bad offensive line last year. Look around the league. Like, does Deshaun Kaiser stink? I don't know. Great footwork, right? Where's Coach D? <laughs> Great forward. But the Browns had no offensive line. They already had a bad offensive line, and then their best player, a Hall of Famer, gets hurt. Of course the team's going to stink, and of course they're going to be picking in the top five. So, you know, I don't know. It's, to me, if you're the Giants, I mean, if you're the Browns, you can't take Barkley one. If you're the Giants, you could – but I was, we were just talking about this. Like, To me, they made room for Chubb, right? I mean, they sent my man with no fingers down to Tampa Bay because of that. We talked about that last week. Like, they're, To me, that's the pick there. When you're picking an NFL team, you're trying to start a team, it's get yourself a pass rushing D-end, get yourself a left tackle, and then go for a quarterback. That's the way it works. So I don't know. I would hate to see Saquon go to a team like the Browns and then flutter out, get too many carries, get beat up, and then not live up to his potential to what he could be. But let's see what happens there. Draft uh, is still some time away, and I think we'll break that down some more. Um, you know, as we sort of get into get into the draft. You guys, you guys got got no other comments for me. Is Nebo in the last one, or did my screen freeze up? Like, did did nobody else say anything? <laughs> I was kind of hoping. I mean, I have more stuff to talk about. Obviously, I can gas bag for hours, but I was kind of hoping that you guys were going to say some more stuff. I can kind of see like people joining. All right, I'm going to move the baseball and let's. Well, let's talk. Well, first, opening day was Thursday, right? So that was great. It's great to see baseball back. 
Um, I try not to get too overly excited about baseball in April because baseball lasts until September, <laughs> right? I sort of talked about this with the whole why the tournament's so great and why. Because, again, these regular seasons that are so long, it just gets really hard to care about games early because they're meaningless. Um, but a lot of people wanted to pick their teams, right? And a lot of your front-running favorites in each league, right? The Yankees and the Red Sox, obviously. Red Sox have the highest payroll. They're stacked. Yankees have the the two monsters, right? Giancarlo and Judge. So they're going to be a story all year. Um, you got the Astros in that league, in the American League, and they obviously won the World Series this year, but history's not with them. So I saw a stat that only one of the last six World Series champs has actually made the World's, uh, even the playoffs the next year, let alone the World Series. So that's pretty interesting. Um, and then, you know, you got you got the the story out west in the American League is the Angels. Otani, um, he actually pitched. That was interesting. That's going to be interesting to watch all year, right? Can this kid actually hit and pitch? Um, I'd love to see it. I hope that he can because I think it's unique and different. So hoping that he can, but who knows? We'll see what happens there. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I'm going to have to talk about the Phillies because – this whole thing with the Phillies is just outrageous. Now, hold on a second. What is this thing popping up here? Hold on. No, don't say Pornhub. Um, the Phillies. Uh, <laughs> all right. I want to sort of calm everybody down to one side. Like, you can't call for a manager's head after three or four games, right? <laughs> you can't do it. However, this pitching thing. I just had a conversation about this with multiple people. This is sort of bothering me, right? Uh, on the one hand, I'm all about the sabermetrics. I'm all about the Moneyball. Uh, I sit around quoting the Moneyball movie all the time, right? Oh, what do you mean don't steal? You paid me to steal. No, I'm paying you to get on first, not get thrown out at second, right? Like I, I sort of, I embrace that and I love it. But at the same time, dude, you can't, you can't pitch nine pitchers in a game. I, <laughs> You can't do it. It's outrageous. It's stupid. And pulling Nola on opening day at 68 pitches, again, stupid. It's the middle of an inning. Like, what are you doing? Here's my problem with doing that stuff. <laughs> and I heard I was just talking to somebody about this literally right before I came on. Well, you know, he's like, well, I'll listen to an argument about, you know, the sabermetrics. I won't. I won't listen to it. I'll tell you why. Because if you're watching the game and you're a baseball guy, you know you don't pull him there. You know He was breezing through. He was pitching well. If you want to be monitoring his pitch count or whatever, you at least let him get through the six. You just don't do it. So if we're going to run this like a sabermetrics, mechanical, by-the-numbers manager, hit the bricks, buddy. I'll bring my fucking laptop out, and it will tell me what to do for every move I'll sit down there in a uniform with a big chaw in and a bag of seeds, and I won't even watch the game as I won't need to because I'm going to make every move by what the computer says I should do, by what the analytics say I should do because this says I got a 51% chance if I change pitchers here. Like, get out of here. You can't manage that way. The point of bringing those types of things in, the money ball, the sabermetrics, the analytics, is you have to – you got to get them, understand them, and then combine them with the actual knowledge of the game. Like you can't, you can't just run everything by what that thing tells you, right? I feel like it's almost like watching Andy Reid on the sidelines. 
poor Andy. He's always the butt of everybody's joke, right? The poor Andy, like when it comes to time management, at the end of like a, a half, I feel like he had like the card. He's like, he's looking at the card. Like, like, what do I do? <laughs> I mean, you, you got to know this stuff from years in the game. And if you're going to just let a computer tell you what to do, then get out of here. So hopefully that kind of stuff changes for the Phillies. I can't watch all year if it's going to be this way, if every single decision is going to be based on, you know, the sabermetrics decision or whatever. If it's going to be a, a strictly numbers-based decision all the time, every time. First off, you can't run a season like this with your bullpen. Uh, you know, I don't know. I get the whole thing trying to protect Nola because they're not going to be good, but that shit's got to stop. You just can't have it. Is this not scrolling? Hang on a second. First time listener, first time comments. All right, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back here and try and get some of your comments because every it wasn't scrolling, so I missed everything. Hang on. All right. So well, first we'll say what's up, Z. Uh, I like I see you're on the <laughs> see you're on the well thing. Um, I know I know Tom. I know that you have you have Nola on your fantasy team. Take well, all right. If you want to talk about if you want to talk about Charlie Manuel and those Phillies teams, right? I will because here's the thing about those teams. This was what bothered me the most about those teams. The fact they only got one World Series, right? They got to another one, but those were offensive driven teams, right? In 2008, it was Cole and the boys <laughs> on the pitching staff. I mean, it was Heavy B, Brett Myers, right on the pitching staff. They hit the ball, and then what they wanted to try and do by bringing in Lee and Holiday and these other guys was turned into a pitching team on a hitter's team. And they should have just rode that with the pitchers they had. The Cliff Lee in-out deal was a disaster. I mean, the fact that they only got the two World Series and only won one was terrible. Absolutely terrible. What else have we got here? Easy. Easy three World Series, if not more. I'm going to bring this thing in where I can, can reach it. There we go. I think it's going to fall off the table. Uh, what else have we got? Yeah, I know. I know, Hip. I know, Tom. Here's the thing. You can do it, right? But legitimately, you don't pull your ace starter after 68 pitches, and you don't, <laughs> you don't go through nine guys. You can do it. But well, all right, well, I'll tell you this: Did the Phillies have a bullpen like the Astros did? I mean, that's the thing. Like, you know, y you can do that if you have that type of bullpen. <laughs> you know, I I would love to answer that, but I feel like I would be honestly just getting myself into a lot of trouble down there because I may get preferred calls from one, but I'm going to get rung up like I did in the fall looking at a ball that wasn't a strike, that didn't hit. It was way outside. I pointed to the ball mark. It was terrible. <laughs> uh, what else have we got? You got me. <laughs> let, me, 
Let's scroll back up here and see what else we got. I can get some comments. I'm sorry I missed it, guys. I, let's see. Yeah, we talked about the Phillies coach. What else do you guys want to hear? Blue chips? Yeah. Blue chips. So I talked about blue chips a lot, right, when I talked about the whole thing with the point shaving because I know that movie is so over the top, but it's kind of it's kind of like real, right? I mean, this stuff's happening. They're paying players. They're shaving points. If you want to really – if you've ever seen the Fab Five, that's a great documentary. It's not technically a 30 for 30, but one of the most telling pieces of that is when Mitch Albom, who is a famous writer from Detroit, is walking down the street with Chris Webber, and he says to him, this is when Chris Webber had allegedly gotten paid hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? And Mitch Albom is being interviewed, and Chris, they walk by a pizza shop, and Chris is like, yo, dude, can you hook me up with some money? I'd like to get some pizza. And he's like, Chris, you know I can't do that. Then they walk by a, a corner sports store, sporting goods store, and they're selling Chris Webber jerseys in the window. And Chris kind of looks at the jerseys, and he's like, I ain't got no money for pizza, and yet they're selling my jersey in the window for 75 hours. And what Mitch Albom says is, number one, that's when I knew Chris was going to the NBA. And number two, if he had hundreds of thousands of dollars, I don't know where he was hiding it. Like, I don't know what he was doing with it because the kid was walking around like a normal poor college kid. So he, I mean, that whole thing was a mess too, but that's actually a great, a great one to watch. What else we got here? Kingery expectations? Kingery. Hip, you want to talk Kingery? You know, here's the thing with Kingery. I mean, what are there are no expectations, right? I guess there are because we, you know we 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 decide to pay him now, but I don't know if that was the actual right move to go. To be honest, um, I probably wouldn't have. I would let him play it out, come up later in the year, right? And the way the contracts work in baseball, so um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, all right, well, look, I've been going for a while here. I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up. One last thing I wanted to talk about was the Masters. Steve still thanks Chris Webber. Yeah. Yeah, those were crazy. Um, last thing I want to talk about was the Masters, right? So this is Masters week, uh, a tradition like none other. Uh, I believe tomorrow is the par three, which is really cool. So everybody should definitely check that out. Uh, that's fun. And then the Masters comes in. Tiger is favored to win in Vegas, which is pretty interesting to me. I'm not quite sure how that works with him being the favorite to win. Uh, it's probably just a betting thing, right, because Tiger played one. Everybody wants to, to see Tiger do well. Uh, but I'm pumped for the Masters. Uh, I'm glad that golf's back and got warm weather sports back and everything. Um, that's it, guys. I'm going to wrap this up. I appreciate everybody jumping in. I want to remind everybody that I will have this up, this session, on YouTube uh, it will be on iTunes and it will be on SoundCloud. So once I get back and pull it down and record, it'll be up. And uh, yeah, however you want to consume your podcast, please subscribe to the channel. Give me thumbs up. Give us likes. Hit me and boo up. Let us know what you want to hear. I want to do more of these. This was my first attempt at a live show. Um, I'm going to have to figure out a better way to do the comments thing. Hopefully I'll have somebody else here with me. You know, Buha couldn't make it tonight. I say he's in Boston. So, but uh, we'll get better. We'll get better at this, and we'll, uh, we'll do some more live shows. That's it, everybody. Swags out.